This morning, Monday, February 26th, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Janus v. American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, a case that some believe has the potential to transform the politics of American education. At issue is whether public sector unions, including those representing teachers, should be allowed to collect fees from employees who elect not to join. In 2016, a majority of the court seemed poised to ban so-called agency fees in a similar case, before Antonin Scalia's death led to a 4-4 deadlock. What did we learn from the justices questioning this time around? Are agency fees on their way out? And if so, what will be the consequences? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and joining me today to discuss the oral arguments in the Janus case is Josh Dunn, associate professor of political science at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and the legal beat columnist for EdNext. Josh, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate the fact that you're willing to dive into discussing these oral arguments just a couple of hours after they occurred. Um, let's start off by setting the context for this case. As I understand it, teachers unions and other public sector unions can now collect agency fees from non-members in about 22 states. And those arrangements were upheld by the Supreme Court in a 1977 decision, Abood v. Detroit Board of Education. So why is this case even before the Supreme Court? Isn't, isn't it settled law? Well, I think the Abood decision has always been in tension, or depending on your perspective, conflict with base, basic First Amendment free speech doctrine. And so if you look at the court's jurisprudence on free speech, it said there are certain things that it's held as almost sacrosanct over the last hundred years or so. One is that there should be no viewpoint or content discrimination. A second is there's no such thing as a false idea that is the government isn't in the business of telling citizens what they can and can't believe or say. Uh, and then the third would be no compelled speech. Uh, and in this case, there seems to uh, be an instance of government compelling people to support positions that they may or may not uh, support. And so the people like uh, Mr. Janus and then others before him, uh, Ms. Friedrichs uh, and so forth, have, have complained and argued that uh, this really is a case of violating their free speech right not to speak in, in support of positions uh, that, they, that, that they don't uh, agree with. So just to be clear and make sure we have the facts on the table, who exactly is Mark Janus and what is his complaint? Right. So uh, Mark Janus works for the Illinois Department of uh, Healthcare and Family Services. And he's a state employee there who uh, has not joined the union, but because of the ability of asked me to uh, collect agency fees or fair share fees, he's had to pay thousands of dollars um, uh, to, support, to support the union. He contends that the union's position on fair, fair sheets is, is, in fact, backwards. The union argues that if they can't compel individuals like Mr. Janus to pay these fair share fees, that it, he'll just be a free rider, and others will be free riders, piggyback upon the efforts of the union to negotiate better uh, wages and, and working conditions. Uh, his argument is, in fact, that they have it opposite, that the unions, uh, are, unions are the free riders because they uh, are able to confiscate money from him uh, and others uh, without, without ever asking for their permission. So a key question underlying this case and the Friedrichs case that preceded it seems to be whether one can distinguish unions' political activity, which they need to exclude from the fees that they charge to non-members, from the activities they undertake on behalf of members through collective bargaining. And 
At oral argument in the Friedrichs case, at least, many of the justices seemed skeptical of that distinction. Were things any different this time around? No. Um, I think the, the, the liberals on the court, the liberal bloc on the court, once again tried to uh, avoid that issue by and large and instead tried to focus on uh, the stare decisis and reliance interests of the state, where the conservative bloc on the court plus Justice Kennedy if anything, seem more hardened in their opposition. I think there's actually one very important exchange with Justice Kennedy, uh, with, with the Ask Me attorney. Uh, Justice Kennedy asked the attorney this. He said, I'm asking you whether or not your view, if you do not prevail in this case, the unions will have less political influence, yes or no? Uh, the response of Mr. Frederick, yes, they will have less political influence. Justice Kennedy then said, isn't that the end of this case? Uh, so that was a very uh, Justice Kennedy getting to the very direct issue, which is uh, that all of the things that public sector unions do in inevitably have political repercussions and consequences, and so therefore these fair uh, fair share fees, agency fees, go to support political speech that some people might not agree with. Yeah, I noticed that exchange as well, in part because of the justice that was involved. Uh, obviously, all eyes here are on Justice Kennedy because. The assumption is that the rest of the conservative bloc, at least uh, Thomas and Alito, who has really led the charge on this issue, uh, are likely to vote to strike down agency fees. We know that Kennedy was in that position in the Friedrichs case. Um, there was certainly no evidence in the oral argument that he seems to have switched sides. I guess the big question then is Neil Gorsuch, who wasn't a member of the court when it came to the Friedrichs uh, case. He didn't say a word, did he? No, uh, nothing at all. Yet his name never actually appears in the transcript. So, so we don't officially know what he, he was thinking. Of course, the, the good money is that he will likely side with uh, the conservative bloc on the court, but he could, he could always do something surprising and try to broker some compromise uh, with, the, with the liberal bloc on the court. Uh, certainly among the, the four who, who wanted to strike down agency fees in Friedrichs, they don't seem to have changed their minds at all. So really, the wild card here is Justice Gorsuch. It seemed to me possible that one of the ways in which the uh, liberals on the court were trying to appeal to Gorsuch, maybe in search of that compromise, was by repeatedly bringing up a different prior case than the Abood case, the, the Lanart case, um, which, as I understand it, clarified exactly what could and could not be chargeable to non-members as part of the collection of an agency fee, exactly which activities unions could and could not uh, charge for. And they repeatedly pointed to actually not the majority opinion in that case, but to a uh, dissenting opinion by Justice Scalia, uh, who of course was a mentor, perhaps a role model to Gorsuch. Do you think they were trying to call his attention to that possible compromise, one that would not eliminate agency fees altogether, but perhaps narrow the range of activities that unions could support with them? Certainly. I, I think that they were obviously recognizing that they're in a very weak position, and so they're trying to um, salvage Abood in, in, in some way. And so this, this dissent from Scalia in the Lehner case, it, they, they're pointing to as an option for a compromise. And after all, it's Justice Scalia. Uh, the leader of the conservative bloc on the court for so many decades, so you should you should side with him. 
Um, my guess is that unless that gets traction with Justice uh, Gorsuch, it, it's not going to go anywhere, though. So let's turn to the issue that really was the focus a lot of a lot of the liberals questioning, which uh, really two related issues of stare decisis or respect for precedent, just the fact that Abud has been on the books for 40 plus years at this point, and then reliance interests, referring more specifically to the you know consequences that a change in rules would have for people who have uh, based decisions on a, an existing set of rules coming down from the court itself. You know, these are principles that do inform the court's decision-making. I'm reminded when Chief Justice Rehnquist upheld the concept of Miranda rights, despite the fact that he had dissented from the original decision in which they were granted, because they had become so familiar an aspect of the American criminal justice system. Is there any possibility that this uh, stare decisis argument will gain traction as the court heads into deliberation? I, I don't think so. It's certainly not with the conservative wing in the court. And in general, what uh, it, I think it's fair to say that when it comes to fundamental constitutional rights, the principle of stare decisis has far less weight uh, for the justices. Uh, and the, the, the first obligation of the Supreme Court, Supreme Court justice, is to, to interpret the Constitution correctly. And so if they think that a prior court made a constitutional error, particularly regarding fundamental rights, they aren't going to be terribly inclined to uphold it simply for the sake of reliance, interest, or the fact that it's, that, it, that it's settled. After all, you think about the most important, probably the most important Supreme Court decision of the 20th century, Brown versus Board of Education, or at least one of the most important. Uh, if you accepted the argument, well, you have to uphold precedent for the sake of upholding uh, precedent and reliance interest, that is that states have organized uh, their, their school systems around a particular Supreme Court doctrine from Plessy versus Ferguson for over 50 years before, they would have had to uphold the principle of separate but equal in K through 12, uh, K 12 education. And so, I think for the for the conservative walk on the court, that that's just not going to go uh, uh, go very far. So, you seem convinced that the writing is in fact on the wall that the court will rule in favor of Janice. What, in your view, will the consequences be? Well, uh, obviously, public sector unions are, are going to lose a lot of money as a result, and also membership, uh, where they haven't been able to collect agency fees or the bill to uh, collect agency fees has been, been removed. They've, they've lost support in membership. Sometimes that's because the agency fees themselves are so, so close to the actual full union cost of joining the union that people just decide to join the union um, rather than just pay the, the slightly smaller amount for the agency fees. I guess they get uh, uh, some, some additional benefits from that. Uh, so you, you would expect to see uh, a reduction in the revenue that uh, public sector unions collect and also their membership. And they've, in fact, admitted this. They've been making plans for the uh, elimination of agency fees. They've kind of seen this coming. Certainly once Donald Trump won the election, they had to assume that a justice who wouldn't be as favorable to agency fees uh, was going to be on the court. So they, they, they've been preparing for it. So I think that's, that's going to be the, the, uh, the first effect. Of course, that's going to have a significant effect on teachers' unions. And the question of how this would affect the sort of behavior of unions came up at oral argument. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts suggested that perhaps it would pressure unions to be more efficient, more responsive to their members, to become the organizations that people wanted to be a part of, the attorney for AskMe 
had something of another take. He said at the end of his time before the court, uh, look, the key thing that has been bargained for in this contract for agency fees is a limitation on striking. And he went on to say, quote, the fees are the trade-off. Union security is the trade-off for no strikes. Was that a threat that he was making to the court? Uh, I think it was, and I certainly think the justices on the court will view it as a threat. Uh, you, uh, I, you have to view that statement by the AFSCME attorney as uh, a colossal blunder, <laughs> because he's essentially coming out and saying, if you don't uphold the boot, we're going to go on strike. Uh, and uh, I don't think that wielding that kind of threat over the justices is going to be is going to be persuasive. Well, we'll uh, have to see how it turns out. As you've written in our pages before, there's always a bit of uncertainty that goes into any prognostication as to what the court is going to do based on its questioning at oral arguments. But it does seem as if we may be set for a major change in uh, the politics of education and really of state and local government in the U.S. generally. Yeah, I, I think you're correct. Once again, it does hinge on uh, Justice Gorsuch. Unfortunately, he didn't uh, say anything, so there aren't any, uh, even any tea leaves there for us to read or to prognosticate uh, about. So we're just really going uh, uh, off of his history as a, as a conservative appellate court justice and, of course, his background in the conservative legal movement, which uh, leads you to believe that, that he's going to be a crucial fifth board this vote for overturning a boot and therefore dramatically changing the relationship, at least in 22 states, between uh, teachers' unions and state and local governments. My guest today has been Josh Dunn, associate professor at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and the Legal Beat columnist for Education Next. He's currently at work on a piece analyzing the oral arguments in the Janus case that will be available at educationnext.org very soon. In the meantime, Josh, thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or another platform so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, be sure to check out our archives, where you can find each of the more than 100 episodes we've recorded since 2015. Talk to you next week.